Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. The pandemic flipped public education on its head when schools had to shift to remote learning. Each school district had a different approach, and when they saw their kids struggling, some parents decided to homeschool. The Associated Press reported in 18 states that shared data, the number of homeschooling students increased by 63% in the 2020-2021 school year. The number fell only by 17% this past school year. There's another approach to learning that has been around long before the pandemic. It's called unschooling, or self-directed education, where children are permitted to lead their own learning. Today, where we live, we learn more and hear why communities of color have embraced this form of education. Coming up, we talk to Connecticut parents, and we want to hear from you. Have you had experience with homeschooling? You can share a comment on Facebook or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. Joining us first on Zoom is Chimay Morales-James. She's a parent and founder of My Reflection Matters, and she calls herself an edgivist or education activist. Chimay, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I mentioned My Reflection Matters. You founded this group, I believe, back in, in 2016. And so tell us a little bit about you know, what your group does and how one of your children actually inspired you to explore what other options are out there. Yeah, so it's been quite a journey for My Reflection Matters. We started as um, really I was at the time I was I had left public school teaching and I was uh, serving as an education anti-racist um, consultant for um, NYU. And at that time, my eldest was about three and a half. So we were already thinking preschool, right? And um, what I started to notice is someone who was uh, both working in schools as a consultant with, with teachers um, and talking about what does it mean to be a culturally responsive educator um, and also being a parent, uh, you know, we were having these convers- these big conversations around transforming education and teachers kept coming to me saying, but where are the tools? I don't have the tools and resources. You're, you're saying we need to reimagine you know, curriculum and the conversations we're having in school, but we don't even have the tools to help guide us um, through these kinds of conversations and and reimagining history from a different lens, right? Stories from a different lens. And I was struggling to also find those kinds of culturally responsive resources as a parent. And so My Reflection Matters was born really out of a need to really um, initially find culturally relevant resources um, that really speak to the stories, lived experiences um, of marginalized communities. And um, and then from there, you know, we started the pre-K thing. It didn't work out for three days. <laughs> and that's when my life took a completely different direction. Um, and when we realized preschool wasn't working for Judah, my eldest, uh, you know, my husband and I looked at each other and said, well, who told us we had to do this thing called school? 
So I started researching homeschooling and that led me down a dark hole <laughs> of lots of interesting people. I bumped into Akila S. Richards who um, uh, runs Fear the Free Child podcast and I knew unschooling was for us. You know, Akila talks about unschooling, but specifically from the lens of black, indigenous, and other folks of color. Um, and, uh, you know, everything that she was saying was just resonated with deeply within my soul. And I knew this was something that aligned with our family. And so that just, you know, took me to here. <laughs> So when we, when all of us think back to how, um, you know, our experience in, in school and how that has shaped us, I'm wondering if you could you know, maybe, you know, uh, peel back the curtain a little bit on yourself and, you know, how as a, as a child, uh, what your education experience was that also got you to this place. I, you know, I never enjoyed school. Uh, you know, school was hard for me. It wasn't something that was easy. I'm very visual experiential learner as many children are tend to be but we have a system of schooling that um, is still very antiquated and does not center multiple ways um, in supporting multiple ways of learning and so because i didn't fit the standard uh way of learning which is sit at a desk quietly you know read things regurgitate it, memorize, spit it back. I struggled. Um, I really struggled. School was something I had to work really hard to be quote unquote successful in. Um, and I eventually learned to perform. <laughs> you know, I learned how to perform as a student, but it was not joyful. Um, and, and it really sucked. It really sucked out the joy of learning for me. And it wasn't until college that um, school became more fun and interesting because in college I had choice. I had the freedom to choose, you know, the kinds of courses and field that I was uh, um, interested in diving into. Uh, and, and I just rediscovered learning in a way that I didn't get to experience through my earlier years. So, so yeah, I did not, I did not come. And, and, and that tends to be the history of my own family. You know, um, my father also struggled in school. School wasn't enjoyable for my mother. You know, like this is this has gone on for a long time in our family where we just had to work really hard and learn how to perform school. You'd mentioned that you were also uh, an, an educator in public school. I'm wondering if you can talk about how that also shaped this journey uh, where you decided that unschooling would might be a better, better fit for your family, for your community. Yeah, you know, it's funny, you know, I worked as a public school teacher, both middle and high school here in Connecticut, and I never even as a teacher felt like I quite fit in with the norm, right? You know, I was a teacher that sat with my kids in my classroom as we ate lunch. Teachers would ask me, like, why are you, like, this is your break. You shouldn't be sitting with your kids. But honestly, the truth is, you know, there's a culture in schools that is really quite oppressive. It's not just oppressive to the young people that go there, to their families, but it's it's oppressive to the teachers. It's oppressive to the leadership. Like it really is a trickle down, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's a trickle down form of oppression. And I felt that very strongly as an, as an educator. And although I didn't have the language of what it means to unschool or self-directed education, um, deep in my core, I knew that something wasn't right, that the voices of children 
um, needed to be centered but was not centered, right? That if you tried to center that as an educator, you were looked down upon. In fact, I, I remember being told uh, one time when I was observing a, a, a former, um, a fellow teacher who I shared a classroom with, who um, had one of our students leading a class. It was a math class. He was, there was a student that was leading this whole lesson on you know, whatever it was, formulas with another group of students. And I remember being mesmerized by how this teacher was able to take this kid who really was really quiet in class, didn't really speak up, um, really didn't have many friends, and now was taking on this leadership role in this beautiful way. And my principal at the time came to me and said, did you see what that teacher was doing? He said, yeah. He's like, what did you think? I was like, uh, I thought that was amazing. He's like, I thought that was terrible. I'm like, what do you mean? That was terrible. Can you? What a lazy teacher that he had his student teaching the class because he didn't want to do his job. And that's when it hit me that I'm like, where am I? that I have a school leader that does not see the brilliance that just happened right now in front of me. Like, how can I be here? And I think I left the following year. <laughs> you know, that, that anecdote that you shared, does that follow this, uh, what has been described as schoolishness? Can you define that for mm -hmm. us? Yeah. So schoolishness are, you know, when I think of schoolishness, I think about the the behaviors and, and the beliefs that adults have where they really believe that they should have agency over a child's body, over their thinking, and over, um, you know, they're the ones that think they should determine what is the life trajectory of a person, right? And so any kind of behavior, activity, thought, or idea that um, that does that to me, I consider as schoolishness, right? So like, I think for me, you know, grade, like a grading system is a schoolish practice, right? It's the idea that or a standards-based curriculum is a schoolish practice. It's the idea that we think everyone, right? It's the idea that adults believe we know what is best for kids to learn. Therefore, we create these standards and we tell them that they need to learn these things by a certain age or grade level. And kids have no agency over what they want to learn, how they learn, and, you know, and, and how that looks, right? Um, and so that to me is, is schoolish. Um, and there are lots of schoolish behaviors that I still hold on to because I've been swimming in it for, you know, 40 something years. <laughs> it doesn't just disappear because my family's unschooling. It's a, it's a conscious practice, a conscious daily practice to catch ourselves when we engage in, in practices where we are trying to control and coerce learning over children. You're hearing Chimay Morales-James here on Where We Live. She's a parent and founder of My Reflection Matters. This is an organization that helps uh, families who've chosen unschooling or self-directed education for their children. If you have a question or maybe you're part of this network, you can join us. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Chimay, some of our listeners may be hearing this term unschooling for the first time. And so can you tell us more about this approach, how it works, and if a parent's interested, you know, how do they do do it. Yeah. So unschooling is a form of self-directed education. And so I, I do use those interchangeably often. 
when we think about unschooling or we think about self-directed education, it really honestly most simply is the idea and the belief that children can lead their learning, right? It's the idea that um, children can follow, have the freedom to pursue and follow their interests, their passions, the things that are most important to them. Um, I like to refer to self-directed education as intuitive-led learning because for us in the village, um, you know, the kind of supports that we offer in My Reflection Matters Village for parents and educators that are interested in reimagining education outside of traditional systems is to really reconnect to the ancestral ways in which um, our indigenous ancestors practice learning and education. And so how do they practice that? Two ways. They practice that through the art of storytelling, right? And they practice it by actually doing, right? Like if a child is interested in, um, you know, cooking, right? They're going to hang out with the elders who cook, right? <laughs> they're just going to, they're going to, they're going to hang out. They're going to, they're going to get messy with them. They're going to make mistakes and learn through those mistakes and making mistakes in self-directed education is, the, is something that we honor and value instead of something that we try to uh, be afraid of, right? In schooling, we often are pushing children to be perfect. And in unschooling or self-directed education, we embrace imperfection. We recognize that uh, the heart of learning happens through the messiness and, and the mis quote unquote mistakes that we make. Um, and so, yeah, for me, this is really about returning to our most natural form of learning, which children are naturally born to do. You know, kids know how to do this. So in the village, a lot of the work that we do is really helping adults to unlearn because <laughs> we've been socialized for so long to think learning and education happens in one place, right? In a certain amount of time. And there are certain things that we're supposed to learn. And so kids already come into this world knowing how to learn intuitively. Um, but oftentimes schooling uh, breaks the spirits of children in ways that um, they begin to doubt that intuitive ability to follow um, their instinct. Mm. When you mentioned break their spirit, that's something that happened to you as a child, Jamie. Yeah. Um, you know, a as a young child, I was you know, made to believe that I was not enough, that I wasn't, and not, not by my family, but the, the system, that I didn't know enough, that I wasn't smart enough. Um, I had teachers that would humiliate me and other students for not performing to their standards, um, you know, and so I, I know what it's like firsthand to, to, feel, to feel that, um, I know what it's like for, firsthand to be a witness to that, um, not just as a former student, but also as a former school teacher. Um, We're learning today about unschooling uh, with my guest, Chimay Morales-James, who's founder of My Reflection Matters. We're going to learn more about how this organization helps families who've decided that unschooling uh, works for them and their children. Again, you can join us 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Now, unschooling makes up a part of those who homeschool. The Associated Press reports since the pandemic, black families have become many of the homeschool converts. The proportion of black families homeschooling their children increased by five times, from 3% to 16% from spring 2020 to the fall. That's according to the U.S. Census surveys. Now, in Connecticut, the State Department of Education tells us it collects homeschooling data at the time of a child's exit from public school. In November 2020, there was a slight decrease in the percentage of students from that June who returned to public school as compared to 2019. The department says this slight decrease was attributed to an increase in homeschooling from around 550 students in 2019 to around 3,500 in 2020. And by 2021, students that left to homeschool were around 2,300 as of October 1st. Now, earlier we heard from guest Chimay Morales-James about why her family chose unschooling for their children. She leads a local network of families who are unschooling or homeschooling their children of color. Uh, Chimay, I'm wondering if you can talk more about this village and uh, the co-op that you founded, how you're helping adults uh, on this journey. Yeah. So, you know, I always tell folks that come to me and have questions about unschooling or home education and are interested that they can't do this alone. You really need community. Now, that doesn't mean if you're a single parent that you can't do that, right? Um, Whether you're a single parent, not a single parent, we all need a village literally to raise free people. And so, my village has been my my family, of course, um, and also our cooperative. So our self-directed uh, learning cooperative um, is really, it's a community of amazing families. We center Black, Indigenous, and other folks of color identities because for me, as I was navigating unschooling, I was recognizing very much like um, the educational system that... Um, it's a very white-centric space, um, and I didn't feel like my family um, in some places were, were, we were even fully welcomed. Um, and so I, I started, you know, like a Facebook group. I said, I got to find, there's got to be other black and brown folks that are doing this. And that's how the cooperative sort of, you know, slowly evolved. You know, it started with just doing some meetups around our state with other families of color Folks started getting, you know, passing the word on, and then 
you know, as we started to grow, folks started asking, well, are you going to start a co-op? And I didn't know what a co-op was at the time. <laughs> so I joined one to kind of get a sense of what a cooperative is and thought, we can do this. And so me, Tamsin, Deltra, many of the other mothers that um, we had initially, you know, were meeting up through through um, just regular meetups and playdates, um, you know, we started organizing and the cooperative now, um, I mean, at one point we had about 30 plus kids, which was just a lot. <laughs> um, and the pandemic, of course, things changed just like they did in the school system. Um, but yeah, as families, we are supporting each other. So when we get together, it's not just about our kids building community and relationships with other children and having opportunities to co-learn alongside each other and really dive into their passions together. But as parents, we're observing, we're paying attention to like what really drives our kids, right? And we're inviting other um, local artists and um, educators. When I say educators, I don't mean necessarily someone who has an actual certificate of teaching, right? Because we're all educators, but elders in our community who also have the same shared passions that our children have and connecting them with our kids um, as mentors, right? Um, as parents, when we get together, we're supporting each other, right? Like we're having time to also share ideas, frustrations, because like this ain't easy, right? <laughs> when you are navigating a type of not just learning, but living that is so radically different than the way most people live and experience education. You really need a community of people that are going to hold you up, that are going to help you be accountable, but are also going to be there when the times get challenging and you get schoolish and you need someone to kind of like lift your spirits up and remind you why you're here. So that's our cooperative. We're going to be hearing from one of these partners that are helping support this community uh, that you've described, Chimay. But I'm wondering if, for our listeners, if you could describe when you get together with these parents and children um, as, as part of this co-op, you know, what's a typical day? What are you doing? And describe the experiences you're having. Yeah. So unlike school where it happens in the same place at a set hour all the time, for us, Learning happens everywhere. So our actual physical space where we meet up changes. You know, twice a month right now, we meet up at a farm in um, Portland. It's a hiring farm. Amazing space. If folks haven't been there, definitely go and visit. And so that shared space, we, we meet up there. Um, Aaron, who's one of the farmers there, also um, what we do, we, instead of saying class, we don't have classes. One, one thing, we don't have classes when we need it, that's a cooperative. But what we do is we put out offerings in our community. So, and offerings anyone can put out. Kids can put an offering out. Adult parents can put an offering out. Sometimes we invite other guests in our community to put out offerings. And an offering is really an opportunity for, um, for our young people and the parents because we are co-learning, right? Like, Parents are learning alongside with their children. This is not an experience that, are, that our kids are having separate from us. We are all learning together as a community. Kids can be leaders of, can be facilitators of learning, which is why kids can put out an offering. Uh, you know, parents can be facilitators of learning, right? You don't have to be a certified teacher. We all bring 
gifts, talents, passions into this community. And we're bartering and sharing those gifts and talents amongst each other and, and learning with and among each other. So when we're meeting up at the farm, we're taking the opportunity that we're, we're on the land, right? We're on land and we are learning and being in relationship. We're learning how to be in relationship with the land, which I think is a big missing element in traditional systems of education. Um, and we are working with folks who know how to work on the land or sharing those gifts with our kids. So, yeah, you know, our day can be where we start off, we come together, we, we are sharing what are the offerings for the day. Kids will break out into different groups based on the offerings that they're interested in. No one is coerced. So if there's the child that says not really, you know, I prefer to be alone today and spend some time alone, maybe sketching or working on something else by myself or exploring something on my own, we support that. Our, our job as, a, as the adults is to really be a support and a guide and not a coercer or a controller of the, of the learning. And so we'll have a few offerings throughout the day. An offering could be sometimes we got Sky, who's um, Sky, I think is six years old right now and has been in our class for a few years. And Sky is very crafty, so Sky will love to do things like making ice cream or building something, you know, with balloons or making candles, right? And so Sky with with her mom will facilitate, you know, sometimes an art project with the kids. Um, we have a mom, Kalitha, who's really into STEM projects, right? And so Kalitha will come and put offering sometimes, you know, some really fun experiments the kids will get to like get real messy with outside with. Um, sometimes we'll have local artists. My mom is an artist, so she's an elder who'll come in sometimes and offer a session on painting, or sometimes they've made the gigante masks from Puerto Rico, little uh, magnetic gigante masks. So we, it's, it's a lot of fun. It really is, when I tell people, when they ask me, what does it feel like? It's like, I think about school vacation. When I went to school and my summer vacation, like unschooling is living that life all of the time. <laughs> and for some who are listening, they might be thinking, what about the skills like reading and calculating, which sometimes parents mm -hmm. are even intimidated to feel like they're the ones teaching that. How do you wrap that into it, Jamee? Yeah. So, I mean, there's been studies around that, right? Like there's actually, there's a book called Rethinking Learning to Read by Harriet Pattison, who really was one of the first two people to do, because there's no study about how kids learn to read outside of the system of schooling. When you look at all of them as a former educator, right, um, all of the studies that I read about literacy, I mean, I taught literacy, I taught reading to kids who, to middle, middle and high school kids who were reading, or either non-reading or reading at like a first grade level, right? So I know the fundamentals of phonemic awareness, right? I know the fundamentals of language. And so with unschooling, we recognize that the you know, the basics, the act, you know, the math, reading and writing comes naturally through reading. You know, we accept through an unschooling lens that these skills, one, will be developed because it's hard to navigate our modern society without knowing the basics of reading, writing and math. It's just very difficult. Kids can't get on the computer without knowing how to do, how to type words, right, without knowing how to read things. Um, and so kids are really learning through living life. And they're learning in a way that is completely different, doesn't follow the patterns that kids follow in a traditional learning system. And I think that's the heart that's really challenging. And it's been challenging for me as a mom, right? Because like, 
someone who taught reading um, because I thought reading is supposed to learn in this particular sequence. Math is supposed to learn in this particular sequence, but it doesn't happen that way when you're outside of the system. And it's quite magical to see, you know, I shared the story about my son, Judah. Um, my children are 8 and 10 right now, Kiana and Judah. And so when we were learning to read, um, I always say I'm going to write a book one day, you know, that's going to be titled, like, how, you know, how my son, how, how um, um, mealworms taught my son how to read, Right. My son, when he was about seven years old, um, Judah, I remember he was, we had gotten that time of Gecko, and he, you know, every week or every other week, we had to go buy mealworms for his Gecko to eat, and Judah would spend his money on the Gecko, and I remember one day Judah said to me, you know, Mommy, buying these these mealworms is getting expensive, Um, and I've been researching on the computer, you know, um, I think I want to, you know, breed my own mealworms. Now, I'm looking at him like you've been researching on the computer that you – now, at seven, you know, if you were in school, the teachers would probably um, label him as a slow reader, as someone that was not up to par for a seven-year-old, right? Um, but here was my seven-year-old. I'm like, wait a minute. Show me what you found. What do you mean you're going to breed your own mailroom? So he showed me go online. He says, can you help me find, you know, um, you know how much it would cost, you know, to do this? So with my guidance and support, right, I'm helping him develop some of his questions as he's researching online. Um, when he's stumbling on words to read, I'm helping him pronounce those words. When he's stumbling on just how to type or spell the words, I'm helping. He's learning to read and write naturally, right, in a non-sequential sequential way. Um, and my son reads mealworms. He's, he's 10 now, and we still have a set of mealworms in our basement. <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing that story. Uh, again, you're hearing Chimay Morales-James here on Where We Live, founder of My Reflection Matters. This is a local organization that is uh, providing support uh, to a network of families who've chosen uh, chosen to unschool. Uh, Chimay mentioned um, the importance of having partners in this. And so with us on Zoom now is Dr. Vanessa Lyles, a community organizer and education consultant in Bridgeport. She researches education policy and also works in partnership with My Reflection Matters. Vanessa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So how did you get involved uh, with Chimay and this group? So um, I have a very good friend who is a one of the families, Tamsin. Her family is in My Reflection Matters. And she was telling me about, and she had always homeschooled, and she was telling me about meeting Chimay and the, the co-op at the time. And I was just fascinated with it because as an educator myself, I had, I was, I'm definitely an abolitionist around education. And um, I was fascinated that there was already a model of, of another way of educating alternative to the public school or charter schools, because I truly believe that if you are going to um, not engage in education and in these traditional ways, you have to build the model that you want. And that's the way it's going to happen. Mm. Now, uh, when we think about uh, parents who need support, there may be parents that you work with, Vanessa, um, who are, um, you know, the head of household or a single parent, and their children are still within the public schools, but they're still looking for, you know, this type of community. And I'm wondering if you can talk about that and how you support them. 
Yes, this is very important to me. The organization in which I work primarily, PT Partners, are is the organization is composed of leaders of mostly women, women identified, who live in low-income public housing in Bridgeport. And they have a lot of challenges with the oppression of the public school system, especially as it relates to their identities. They're they are low income, women of color, head of household, single mothers, and the school system and society in general has a profile that that person is not capable of uh, making be the best decisions for their children. So they often clash with um, a lot of the decisions and the power um, pushing that is that happens to them from public schools. And after many years and then of, of parents coming to me in frustration and looking for an educational advocate, one of the things that our organization decided to do was build an alternative model based on My Reflection Matters, a lot of what the philosophy and work of My Reflection Matters. And we're doing it in a slightly different way, which I think Chimay really appreciates because it's not a model that you can just go and replicate. It really is responsive to the families or the communities who are who are um, using it and we so we have what we call an education village within pt barnum apartments in bridgeport where we are working with parents to start to build a, a a community amongst themselves where they realize that they are a village and then that they they have the power to make the educational decisions for their children um to bridge the gap in in services or supports that their children aren't getting. And we're starting small. So because we need to, again, build the idea of a, of a village for the families. So um, we're with the families. So we, we do trips, we have story time, we have storytellers. They um, have, we have uh, uh, speakers come in and talk to families. So we're really just trying to build up their repertoire of of understanding of resources and like i said the services and supports that are out there so they can start to realize that they can access these things directly and then they, they can support each other directly mm -hmm. as a result and Chimay, did you want to add to that because when we think about even when we're talking about unschooling you know maybe a parent there can't be a parent uh, with the child or children at home in the self-directed education and so thinking about the work that vanessa is doing uh, with uh, these parents in bridgeport how uh, my reflection matters also works with them yeah, you know, unschooling, when people think of unschooling, they often think, oh, you know, that means that people are anti-school, and, and we are anti-school. Um, there are self-directed learners that actually go to school. So you can be a child that attends school and engage in self-directed education because you chose to be there. Someone didn't force you to be in that space. And that really is the heart of self-directed education, having a thing to choose, your life path. And so... Yeah, with our work with parents, it's, it's really helping them, helping them to support their children and making their cho their learning choices. So if their child is choosing to be in school, or if a or if a family feels like we just don't have the community right now to opt out, it's not something that the family prefers, the child and the family prefers, but really supporting them. And knowing how to advocate for their children at the, at the school level um, and push for services that are equitable. equitable. 
Again, we're talking about unschooling and this local organization founded by uh, Chime Morales James, uh, who you just heard here on Where We Live, her organization, My Reflection Matters. I want to take a quick call on Rue in New Haven. Did you want to add to the conversation? Sure. Um, well, first, I just want to um, thank you for this opportunity and for um, having this wonderful guest, Chimay, on. So, um, hey, Chimay, um, it's hey. nice listening to, to you here. Um, so I'm a clinical social worker. Um, I'm a priest in a traditional African religion. I've been doing justice work uh, my whole life. Um, I'm here in New Haven, and I'm, I'm calling in really to um, shout out the work that uh, Chimay and my reflection matters, and clearly also what Vanessa is doing. Um, I've actually been brought into the village to do some uh, support for parents to do some of the kind of offerings of education or kind of consulting with them. Um, and I just want to highlight the importance of really the support that is provided to parents and caregivers, really, um, because even as people are trying to kind of wrap their heads around unschooling and kind of decolonization that's happening or trying to undo bias that's happening. Um, we've all been, most of us have been raised in these um, same education systems, which are very often punitive. And so it's been a real um, honor to work with the caregivers to help them address and kind of um, relearn ways that they actually want to parent and to create really healthy uh, learning environments for their young people, but also really for their whole families. Um, so I work with them on their own uh, trauma issues, on parenting issues that come up, um, and even uh, we're, we're going to be doing a piece on how our own identity and working with our ancestors um, really helps to create um, an environment where people get to be whole people as they're engaged in both learning and in teaching um, the young people. So I just want to um, just kind of shout out to the work and to the opportunities um, that are there for obviously young people learning differently, but also really wraps around parents and caregivers um, and community and then engages in people um, in the communities to, to really help with learning and being some different kinds of people, um, which is also what we need and, and is a good alternative. It's a really powerful alternative. Thank you, Anru, uh, for your call. Uh, the clock is running away from us, uh, but I wanted to thank uh, Vanessa, Dr. Vanessa Lyles for coming on the show, a community organizer and education consultant in Bridgeport uh, who is working in partnership with My Reflection Matters. Thank you uh, for coming on and explaining uh, your role, Vanessa. We appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, again, staying with us is Chimay Morales-James, who's a parent and founder of My Reflection Matters. We're going to continue talking about uh, this community uh, coming up after a short break, and we're going to hear from another parent, too. You can join us. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Parents are finding different learning approaches for their children, like unschooling as an alternative to public school education. And more families and communities of color are embracing unschooling or self-directed education with their children, given what their kids have experienced in public schools, like dissatisfaction with the quality of education or even discrimination. Maybeth tweeted, my family and I chose to unschool this school year, mostly due to the public schools not having a 
the remote option, but also because of incidents in the schools where we felt our boys would be targeted as boys of color. Now, one of the parents that are part of my reflection Reflection Matters, the co-learning co-op to support caregivers who've chosen unschooling. Joining us now on Zoom, Sylvia Maribay lives in Hartford, and she's a member of the My Reflection Matters Village. Sylvia, welcome to our show. Thank you. Happy to be here. I understand you began unschooling in Ohio, and then that's when you joined the My Reflection Matters Village. Since then, you've moved to Connecticut. So tell us about your decision to unschool with your son. Um, well, we made the decision to, it started off with homeschooling. Uh, we were moving from California to Ohio. Um, our last few months, um, in school, uh, were not good, <laughs> put it that way. Um, it was a pretty traumatic, uh, we had some traumatic experiences or my son did. Um, and so when we realized we needed to move state and it was in the middle of the year, we, cho- we decided that the most healthy thing to do for our family would be to homeschool. Um, as I was researching, you know, the different homeschooling options, I came across the concept of unschooling, which resonated um, a lot more with me than uh, at that time. I felt it would uh, fit um, our child's needs um, better. So we went through the process of de-schooling and part of that process as you know the caregiver is um you know taking time to observe your child and then also to learn uh, about you know the different uh, ways that your child can learn so that meant that i was reading about different approaches to homeschooling and different unschooling books and listening to podcasts i came across akila s richard's podcast uh, fair of the free child um, and that, that sealed it for me that as a parent of color, this is really an option. Um, prior to that, um, unschooling, although I was resonating with the ideas around unschooling, um, I hadn't seen, uh, much representation, um, amongst people <laughs> of, of color and, um, Akira S's uh, podcast uh, just was sparking all sorts of things um, because it wasn't just, it, you know, it caused me to realize it wasn't just about education. It's a, it thinking up, it caused me to rethink how I parent and partner with my child, how I, how we live together. And Sylvia, um, I mentioned you're now part of yes. the My Reflection Matters Village, yes. and I think your yes. son is, is nine now. And so yes, tell us is. about your experiences and, and how he's doing today. Um, he is doing great. So we found My Reflection Matters through uh, Akila Riches' podcast. Um, and it was, so that allowed us, that's how we found out about the village um, and signed on. Um, and it was really fantastic for my uh, little guy at that time. We were in the middle of the pandemic. We were isolated in a you know pretty small town in Ohio. So it was um, it really made a difference for uh, my son Jasiri to um, participate in the online offerings at that time. Um, 
it was very different from other stuff that we had tried, like um, like other online homeschooling um, offerings that we'd experienced because um, uh, he was seeing a lot more kids that reflected him. Yeah, seeing black and brown kids. So, um, it, so, and he was beginning to build connections online, even though online was challenging for him as a kid. When we moved to Connecticut um, and joined the physical group, um, it was just incredible. Um, I'm still being blown away and, and grateful for this uh, community, you know, for, for, for this community. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first time that uh, my child has had an opportunity to you know, interact in a space where um, he, his interactions are not, he's not a minority. <laughs> um, where, and, and that, uh, that, that has been mind blowing for us. Um, mm-hmm. I've been blown away by the kindness um, of the people in the group, um, of the other children, and just um, being able to watch my child um, learn joyfully with others. Mm-hmm. Um, most of our unschooling journey has has been in isolation, and so you know, being here with with this community has been uh, just phenomenal uh, for him. Well, it's great to hear uh, that it's been, it's, mm-hmm. it's great to hear that it's been transformational mm-hmm. for both of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chimay mm-hmm. Morales-James is still with us, founder of My Reflection Matters. And so Sylvia's talking about uh, the village, uh, again, uh, that you've uh, created, uh, Chimay. You know, I want to make sure before we run out of time that you know, you're also working with educators who are um, in public schools that are, that are also working um, on, you know, changing some of uh, these philosophies and these ways of thinking that can be damaging. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, you know, working in schools for me, as you know, my life has shifted um, moving into unschooling, has really been in supporting them and developing equitable, you know, teaching practices, but also helping them reimagine and think how we can take liberatory practices that we use, like in our cooperative, into um, a system that uh, really is oppressive and has a lot of limitations. And so when I'm working in schools, I know that, I know the big theme now is, um, you know, equity. We see it everywhere. You know, that's the thing that everyone is, that's the thing that's trending is equity. And that's important. But um, I, I, with my work in schools, try to push leaders and educators and moving beyond equity into thinking about liberation education, because when we think about equity, I think about I think about a system as a tree, and the school system of education being this tree. And and when we're doing equity work, what we're doing is we are trimming the tree, we are pruning it, we're trying to make it on the outside appear healthy and strong and vibrant. But the truth is that when you have a system whose roots really are, you know, spoiled, are not healthy, that no 
amount of trimming is going to ultimately save that tree. Liberation work is recognizing that and recognizing that we need to build something new. We need to plant something new. And so with equity work, we are reducing as much harm that a system creates for, and I would say all children, it's not just BIPOC children or other marginalized students, um, but, you know, we have a system that's antiquated, a system that is about training kids to take on jobs that help, you know, the small elites continue to be the elite, right? Like the factory model is still very much alive in our system. And so liberation work is about people on the ground building their own, defining their own, um, and working in community to do that. And so, yeah, a lot of my work is, is helping educators, you know, how can we center the voices of children? How can we center the voices of parents? How do we work in partnership with young people versus um, controlling their learning and, and the environment? Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's challenging work because this system doesn't really support, fully support a liberation model. But I do believe that the more that we as educators become more aware of education outside of equity, then the more we begin to push, um, you know, our system into moving into more liberatory ways of, of thinking and being. And Chimay, thank you for that. I just wanted to read a, a tweet we got from Steve, uh, who says, My Reflection Matters does such important work despite the common and not unwarranted, in some cases, perception of homeschooling as mostly conservative. There are a lot of us doing it to teach truth and strive for equity in a way that schools do not. So I want to yeah. just want share that with you. And, and, and thank you for coming on the show. We're out of time. Chimay Morales-James, so founder of My Reflection me. Matters. Thank you. And also to Sylvia Marabay, who lives in Hartford. Welcome to Connecticut. Thank you for your story on the show. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Katie Pellico.